Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. So welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today we have a guest. We have Russ Mann, the CEO of WineBid. Welcome to the show, Russ. Hey guys, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I was wondering if you could give a brief background to yourself, but also like a high-level overview of what WineBid is for people who may not know. Sure. So I'm the reasonably new CEO of WineBid. I've been with the company for two years. I've been in software and e-commerce for over 20 years with notable sites that people might have heard of. I was at the early days of Realtor.com, helping put all the houses in the country online and available for viewing for buyers and sellers. I ran MyFICO.com. It's a leader in credit scoring and fraud analytics, which is actually very interestingly related to what we do at WineBid. And then more recently, I was running Gazelle.com, one of the largest websites for buying and selling cell phones and consumer electronics. And then more recently, just came here to WineBid. Although I also do have some background in wine. As some of you know, I used to live down in Temecula, California, the up-and-coming wine appellation. And I had my own small private vineyard. I was growing Syrah and Tempranillo there. So hands-on, in the dirt, growing grapes. But now WineBid is based in Seattle and we have operations in Napa. WineBid is 25 years old. It's been around almost as long as eBay and Amazon. So it's the longest standing online wine auction, long before people thought you could actually auction fine and vintage wine online. WineBid was the very first to start doing that and has grown over the years and is still the largest online wine auction site for fine and vintage wine. Certainly, we have other folks in the business that many of your audience are familiar with, some of the older New York and London-based shops that have traditionally done live auctions and have become more digital recently. But WineBid takes pride in being the longest standing and still the largest online wine auction site. And so could you give us a brief overview of the wine auction process at WineBid, especially how it might differ from some of the traditional live auctions? WineBid's a weekly auction. So Many people are familiar with eBay or more recently OfferUp, which is an asynchronous start and end, different items start and end at the same time, or maybe in a traditional live auction house, which are traditionally more consecutive auction where each item goes one after the other and you have to sit through every item to listen to every item and wait till your item that you want is up for bid. On WineBid, the auction opens every Sunday at about 7.15, and then it closes the following Sunday at 7, and all items go up at the same time, and all items complete or end at the same time at 7 p.m. So prospective bidders can start viewing the items immediately at 7.15. We do have a pro or Amazon Prime style offering where the pros get the first five or 10 minutes to view and place their bids before everybody else. And then the bidding is open to everyone. People can place bids all through the week up until the very last second, the very last minute at 6.59 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern on Sunday night. Then the auction closes. Everything that is received a bid or multiple bids is taken down. Receipts and everything are tallied up. And then 15 minutes later, anything that didn't get sold rolls to the following week and then new items are introduced. We have been, this year in particular, introducing more new items midweek. New items can show up anytime. I can tell you it doesn't matter whether they show up on a Sunday or a Friday or the following Saturday, the day before. Our auction moves very quickly and items move very quickly. Most items are up for only a week. Some will roll for two to three weeks, but they go very quickly. That's the general process. The reserves are ascending only. So when an item goes up for bid, the reserve price, it's an open reserve, it's not a hidden reserve. You can see what the price that the item is being offered at. And then bidders, participants in the market can bid against each other to win that price. On our platform, as in many other platforms, you can't downbid the price. You can wait and see if for some reason, if it doesn't sell for one or two weeks, the price may decrement in the future. But for the most part, the prices only go up. We try to set an opening price 
because again, we're not a retailer, we're a market maker. So we work with the consigner of the wine, the supplier of the wine to identify what the best price will be to help them sell their wine. Of course, it's always the sellers want to sell at the best price and the buyers want to buy at the best price, just like buying a house, for example. And so we try to set a very good reserve up front and then we see how the market reacts and what people want to take that wine at. What's the rationale or the benefit of doing the synchronous, all the wines close at the same time? I can't answer what the original founder and tech team's thought behind that was. And still, there's a great satisfaction to being able to know when you'll know whether you've won that wine or not. And in fact, these days, over the years, what we've seen, and even in my couple of years at WineBid, the newer generation of online buyers, not just for wine, but for anything, are much more into instant gratification, want to press a button on their mobile phone, no longer just desktop. WineBid, of course, has a mobile app and Apple Store and Google Play. People want to make their bid and then buy their wine and sometimes have it shipped the next day. Sometimes they want to store the wine and then aggregate a case or two before sending. So... I think by having all of your wines end at the same time in any given week, there's a certainty of knowing you'll know by this day as opposed to having 10 or 12 bids all at different places and not knowing and having to track which ones are where, etc. Which has been fascinating to see that for many people, WineBid has a very loyal client base, which we greatly appreciate our community. And for some folks, WineBid Sunday night is appointment internet. They've made a ritual of maybe opening a nice bottle of wine and then sitting down at 10 minutes to 7 on the West Coast or 10 minutes to 10 on the East Coast and watching the final minutes, even if they're not bidding, just seeing what's being bid on and how the auction is progressing. And I know I've spoken with many of our clients and regular bidders who just say that it's an enjoyable Sunday activity to watch the wines get bid up. I will say having participated in some live auctions where they're doing the typical live model online, it can be fast and furious. You may not have the time to actually bid on the things you want to, where with this, having everything go at one time and and having it as a set window lets you kind of look at things, especially if you're trying to collect a set or a group of wines to be together. I find it personally as a user to be a lot more convenient. And I think a lot of the big players, as they've done their online auctions, they've kind of followed suit based on what MindBid was doing. Thanks. I appreciate the feedback. Also, interestingly, simultaneously, one thing that we've helped educate folks or people get more familiar with the interface, both on your mobile phone and on the desktop, is if you are bidding on multiple items at the same time, there is a screen that we have that allows you to monitor all of your bids at once and even the things that you're tracking. And if things are moving quickly, you can be upping your bids or changing your bids on multiple items at once. So if folks have any questions about that, if they are playing with the auction, then you can always chat with our customer service team. But just to be aware, I hope you've experienced, Robert, the idea that you can be managing multiple items at once very simply as well. I think folks were originally a little overwhelmed by having bidding on 10 or 12 wines and trying to keep track of all of them because it does get a little fast and furious at the end. New Sunday night activity for Robert and I. Yes. What about an overview from the seller's perspective of how do they sell through WineBid? Yeah, so that's the other part that people don't see as much of, but WineBid is one of the top destinations for people who want to sell wine in the US. And now we are accepting some consignments from France, in fact. So we work in France helping source private sellers there. For the most part, consigners or most of the sellers are private individuals who have large sellers. For us, a good size seller is $10,000 and up. You don't have to have a million dollar seller to be able to sell on WineBid. We'll take smaller consignments, but for the most part, what makes the best sense for a consigner and for us is $10,000 or 100 bottles that are worth $100 each roughly or more. And it's as simple as we say on our site, if you go to winebid.com slash sell wine, it's as simple as send in your list get an appraisal for free or an estimate. And then once we've agreed on what that looks like, we do all the work at appraising your wine and uh, you'd work with the consignment executive from our team. Then you ship the wine in and we can handle all of those logistics for you, whether your wine is at your house in your cellar 
hopefully temperature controlled and humidity controlled, or over at professional wine storage, like some of the great wine storage companies around the country, Manhattan Wine Storage, Domain, many others that we work with. They can pull your wines, box them up, and then we will make sure that they're either picked up at your house, picked up at the wine storage, and then shipped to our warehouse in Napa. At Napa, the wines get further inspected, authenticated, priced, checked for quality, photographed. Every photo on the site or nearly every photo is an individual photo. We try to avoid stock photos. And then after your wine gets auctioned, we'll send you the check or wire the money via ACH. So it's as easy as for the consigner, one, two, three. One is get your free estimate. Two is ship your wines. And three is receive your money. And even the appraisal and the shipping part, we try to take care of as much as possible for our sellers. For certain collectors with a large enough seller, will you guys actually send someone to them? Or is it always the wines are basically estimated through like a bottle list and then they have to go to Napa first? The estimate of value happens before it gets shipped. So you, uh, as a consigner, would send us your list of what's in your cellar. We have many clients who don't necessarily have that list cataloged. And so if required as a service, in fact, we just did one here for a woman who had been collecting wines with her husband for many years across Europe. And then her husband unfortunately passed away a few years ago. And she was in the process of moving from their home to she's downsizing to a smaller home here in Seattle. And she was interested in what the value of her collection would be worth, but she didn't even know everything she had. So one of our local team members went to her home, cataloged everything that she had. So now she has a list. We told her what we thought the value of each and every bottle would be. And so now she's sorting with her grown children, which wines they want to keep and which wines they would like to auction. And then They'll take the ones they want to keep and we'll take the rest and ship them to Napa, do the final inspection, photography and auction them off. And she's very happy that not only is she getting money back for all these wines, but we're helping her pack up her house before she moves. So you mentioned there that her husband passed away. What are some of the other examples of why people would want to be selling wine on auction? As many folks often say in a variety of businesses, it's a kind of grim joke, but there's, of course, the 3Ds, the divorce, debt, or death. But on a little lighter note, we often see folks that may have started off collecting, for example, Napa cabs after many trips to Napa. And then as they get deeper into wine, they may start changing their tastes and wanting to swap out their cellar and start collecting Bordeaux or Burgundies or then various New World wines. And so they end up having a capacity constraint in their home cellar or at their storage. And so they may want to not sell their whole cellar, but they want to, to sell a portion of their cellar. Also, there's the move where someone is moving. And at that time, they decide they want to downsize their cellar or just sell their whole collection and start a different collection somewhere else. In our pre-briefing, there's a joke that also many people are often forced to sell a portion of their cellar by their spouse or their partner when their partner or spouse sees how much wine they have collected and the value of that collection. They say, you are not allowed to buy any more wine until you sell a part of your current collection. So whether it's unfortunate death or divorce or debt, we don't like to see those. We can obviously help those out. But more frequently, we love to see folks who are changing their tastes and, and trading their sellers. Uh, I guess there is one other category of folks that we've started to see emerge more recently. And there are folks, uh, and I've been having a lot of conversations about this recently, where people are looking at wine as an investment vehicle. Last year, at the end of the year, WineBid was featured in The Economist. The Economist magazine came and we worked with them to do a 15-year analysis of wine prices across all appellations. And they used some PhD data scientists to review the data. And it turned out that if you had bought a basket of burgundies, of high-end, well-known burgundies, then you would have outperformed the S&P 500. If you had bought a basket of Bordeaux, you would have matched or slightly underperformed the S&P 500, but you would have outperformed most bonds and interest rates on debt. Now, of course, that article brought a lot of discussion. I know that wine as an investment vehicle is an often discussed topic. One thing that that article did not take into account is trading and handling costs that more like commodities and less like stocks. 
first of all, any wine needs to be stored properly and held. And the cost of trading wine, of course, the buyer's commissions and the seller's commissions in wine are very different than now we know. And stocks on E-Trade and others, they've gone to zero trading costs. But unfortunately, with wine as a physical good, WineBid and the rest of the auction houses and others do need to charge some form of buyers and sellers commissions. But to the original question, we've seen more and more people looking to build a portfolio of wines to hold and store both as a potential enjoyment to drink and share and also to invest for the future. Can't drink my stocks. Yes, that is true. That's that's the great benefit of wine as an alternative asset. It It does have the potential to appreciate you have to be very good. I wrote this in one of the follow-ups. I don't necessarily advocate trying to use wine as an investment vehicle as a hobbyist. I think it's much better purchased for enjoyment by yourself with your family and friends. But there are definitely people who have been trying to make money buying and holding and trading wines. So I've seen a bunch of retailers actually go out and buy collections or sellers from people. And I'm curious on what is the difference from the seller's perspective if they want to sell through an auction like Winebed or through a retail location that may be local and is willing to buy their seller? That's a great question. And in fact, for the most part, most auction houses like Winebed prefer to do a consignment style approach. We, on occasion, will buy a collection. Another, there are folks out there who will buy a collection. What I've seen with retailers is if they're buying your collection, they tend to, they're buying it in exchange for store credit or it's generally a little bit of a risk return mentality that if you are consigning your collection, then you will pay a lower selling commission than if you're selling it outright, in which case the buyer, the retailer, or the auction house is taking on more of the risk of selling that collection. And so normally you might take a higher discount versus the projected hammer if you're selling it outright versus if you're just consigning it. Yeah, I would assume that the retailers obviously need to have their profit margin that they need to make on it where you guys are using actual data to you know advise what someone, what a third party is willing to pay for the wine based on historical information. Exactly. Although it's kind of like, I guess, if you were thinking about selling a car, if your car is worth $20,000 and you're trying to auction it for the best price, you might get that 20. But if a dealer is going to buy it from you directly, then they're going to pay you 16 for it because they got to make up the difference in buying it and the risk and the cash, the cash out the door, and they're going to refurb it and make it better. Of course, in wine, we can't refurb the wine, but, but you get the general point. As a consumer, as a collector selling your wine, you're going to get more dollars if you can be patient and consign it through auction than if you're going to just sell it outright for the fast cash. I'm curious in terms of selling wine, because I've purchased wine from Winebid, I've never sold wine to Winebid or through Winebid. What is the seller premium like and and what is the philosophy? Is that moved over time? Seller premium at Winebid and in most auction houses is between 5 to 25%. And with at least Winebid, and I believe most of the other auction houses, the larger your consignment, the lower the seller's premium. There's a lot of work that goes in, obviously, to assessing the value of the wine, which we don't charge for. Some people charge separately as an appraisal versus an estimate. There's a lot of work in, obviously, boxing and shipping the wine, photographing catalog and marketing the wine, etc. So just like a luxury realtor who has to help market your house. That's kind of the range that I think various auction houses and wine bid operate in. Or on the buyer's side, the buyer's premiums seem to go between 15% to 25%. At wine bid, it's only 17%. More of the other auction houses, live auction houses, I believe in the 20 to 25% range. So we're slightly higher possibly on the seller side, just depends. Definitely lower on the buyer side. I think one of the things that we talk about is that by having a lower buyer's premium, we have more people on the site who come and are excited to buy these wines and bid them up. So that is why net, a consigner will achieve a net higher dollar to them in their pocket even though it might seem like the commission might be a point or two higher than at other places. It's kind of like if you were trying to sell a house once again, would you rather pay 3% on the sell side and get 
a hundred thousand dollars for that house, or obviously in these days a lot more expensive than that. I'd rather pay two percent and get eighty thousand. So the commission might be lower, but the net realized result is lower as well. We make that up by having a much higher number of consumers who are actively bidding on the wines. To that point on the buyers, what do people who buy from WineBid normally look like? So the buyers on WineBid are a very diverse group of folks. We have a global audience, about 70% US, 20% Asia, 10% Europe. And I would say it's about two-thirds male, one-third female. And it's a generally upper middle income and higher demographic We see a lot of folks who are in tech and finance, a lot of professionals, lawyers, doctors. And what's been interesting, particularly this year, is that the demographic is getting younger. Some people think that fine wine and vintage wine is only for old stuffy people. And yet, in fact, this year in particular, we've seen a younger and younger demographic come onto WineBid and be interested in a much broader selection of wines at all price points. You can find wines on WineBid from $10 to over $10,000. Because of COVID, frankly, folks that would normally maybe go out to fine dining or go to their local wine merchant and experiment with new things, they can't do that right now. A lot of the smaller wine merchants didn't have websites and weren't really prepared for what's happened in the past seven months. And so we've seen this huge explosion of new buyers and bidders, and they've been interested in all sorts of wines, which has been very interesting. It's been definitively a higher mobile set as opposed to desktop kind of set, a little more skewed toward the Apple side as opposed to the Android side, which has been interesting to see all of these different behavioral changes that's been happening in the past year. But even COVID notwithstanding, we've seen over the past 25 years, while I've only been here two years, as the internet's grown and more people are digital natives, what we've seen is that the demographic is is expanding for sure. The interest in wine has been expanding. Definitely. So how many buyers are there on the WineBid platform and how do most people hear about WineBid? So we now have over 135,000, maybe even closer to 150,000. It's been expanding so rapidly. Registered buyers and bidders coming to the site. And people, for the most part, have been hearing about WineBid through word of mouth and through other wine collectors. Although recently, obviously, we've been doing more extended outreach through social media, through digital channels. We went a little old-fashioned last year before COVID and started doing some offline meet and greets around the country. I think so many e-commerce sites, not just in wine, but in general, are just shopping carts with the screen and pixels. And we've tried to make WineBid a lot more personal over the past two years by not just me, but other parts of the team getting out and about and meeting collectors, both sellers and buyers, being more active online, chatting with people in different forms, etc. And of course, we feel very fortunate. I appreciate you guys reaching out and having me on X Chateau. One of the keys, I think, for Robert and I, what are the best ways to win auctions at WineBid and the tips and tricks to get the best pricing? Yes, you want the secret tips and tricks. So it's been fascinating to see at WineBid how many people try to come online at the last minute at 6.50 on a Sunday night, West Coast or 10 p.m. East Coast, and try to snipe that last bottle and win something. And they wait till the last second and they track and they do all kinds of things. What I have seen and I recommend to folks is to get in earlier in the week for a variety of reasons and place your bids early. So if you know what you're looking for, then find 10, 12, 24 different bottles, place the first bid at the reserve price, and then set your max price up front. If there's a $100 bottle that you're willing to go to 120 and no more, then set the max bid at 120. The machine does not bid it up, you know, unless there's someone else bidding against you. So you get your bid at 100 and then you wait and see. 
what ends up happening, what we see is there are a variety of folks who are always looking, of course, for great deals. They're looking for wines that haven't been bid on. So if you place the first bid, you're more likely to get it and then possibly discourage other people from bidding on that wine. And then if you set your max bid for 120, then maybe somebody bids at 110 and then the machine will put down the 120 bid for you. And if you wait till 7.05 or 7.15 on the following Sunday, then you can see whether you won or lost. But what we often see is people getting emotional in the last 10 minutes and then chasing a wine up. So you said the max bid you wanted was 120. Well, if you've if you've had a nice glass of wine or two and you're seeing that bottle go for 110, 120, then you might be tempted to go 130, 140. And while certainly that's great for wine bid and that's great for the consigners, I always want all of our bidders and buyers to go away happy that they got a great wine at a great deal that they're super happy with. So more often than not, you'll win that wine for $100, maybe $110, and you won't find yourself chasing a bid and then having buyer's remorse later. So my great secrets are bid early, set your max bids up front, know what you're willing to pay and don't chase bids. And if you are coming in on a wine that's already had three or four or five bids, then make sure it's something you really want because that means that there's already a lot of competition on that. This is one I haven't publicized as much. It was evident in the, in the Economist article, but it was very fascinating to see that we did this analysis that scores do matter and there is a score premium. And what we saw was versus what we believe market price for a variety of wines would be, that items with scores under 90 did not get a huge premium over the estimated market value. Items with scores between 90 to 93 got a moderate premium, but items with scores over 94 got a super premium over the estimated market value. So what that would suggest is that If you know you like a certain producer or you like a certain wine or a certain vintage, then either, number one, look for the wines that have had scores more in the 90 to 93 range because over 94, you're actually going to be paying a super premium. Or if you're really confident, look for the wines that don't have scores. And if it's something that you know you want or maybe has had more recent scores and is just becoming a popularity. So because the vast number of buyers are still very score-driven. And so if you're a confident buyer and you know what you want, then you don't have to pay attention to the scores and then you can find even better deals and and rest assured you're not paying the super score premium. That would be my set of tips and tricks to prospective bidders and buyers on how to get great wines at great deals on WineBid. Those are great tips. I'm looking forward to trying some of them in the near future. I'm curious on the overall online wine auction marketplace. Wine Spectre said in 2019 that it had a record year and was up to $521 million, which is up 9% from the previous year. What are you seeing happen in 2020 for WineBid? And do you see it maintaining that growth or is it kind of plateaued? Oh, I believe that the wine auction market is going to accelerate in the coming years. And in fact, it will accelerate. It will, of course, accelerate digitally. And If anything, this is going to become a larger category of the overall wine market. So first, the overall wine market is $325 billion globally. That's how much the value of all the wine in the world. And only $10 billion is online. So that's about 3% various reports say it's about 10 billion. So 3%. Most other categories like cell phones and electronics, which I used to be in, and fashion, another retail style goods are in the high double digits, 10%, 20% digital penetration. You're now more likely, you're getting a lot more likely to go onto Amazon or, or other stores, Target, Walmart, or specialty places, Best Buy, to buy your products than you are to go to their store. But when you see that wine is only at 3% digital penetration, then you see there's this huge opportunity. So if wine is 10 billion and auctions are only 
500 to 600 million of that 10 billion. First of all, what I know we're going to see, especially because of COVID, COVID has accelerated, I think, the wine industry by, if we've been in pandemic or quarantine for seven months, I now think it's accelerated digital by seven years, the amount of activity. And you've seen that wine.com, great site, announced that they're seeking capitalization at a billion dollar market value. We've seen all kinds of really interesting wine delivery services like Drizzly. I saw that GoPuff today just announced they're buying the BevMo distribution. And we've been seeing an explosive growth in the wine auction market as well. There's all kinds of forces driving that, including the proliferation. There's been a proliferation of suppliers and producers. It's no longer just the French Chateau and Domaine. Now, there are producers and there's interest in wines out of Central Coast or wines out of Temecula, wines from the New World in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, South America. And so there's more producers than ever. There are more consumers than ever. There's more consumers online than ever. And all the consumers want different experiences. Some want auction, some want fixed price, some like the wine clubs. There's been a variety of new wine club formats out there. So I know last year in the wine industry, there was a lot of hand-wringing around whether White Claw would replace white wine because White Claw is the hot drink among millennials. But I think what we're seeing instead is that it's not either or, it's and both. It's an and both mentality. There will be White Claw, there will be white wine, there'll be sparkling rosé, and there'll be, of course, great Bordeaux and Burgundies. At the end of the day, the supply from the traditional houses is relatively fixed. There's only so many acreages in Bordeaux and Burgundy. There's only so many acres of the top tier houses out of Napa and Sonoma. And there's more demand than ever. And not just in the US, there's more demand in Asia. We've seen a huge contingent of Asian buyers come onto WineBid in the past few years. There's more demand coming out of South America, in fact, and in other places. And we ship a lot of great wine right back to Europe, which is quite fascinating as well. You know, obviously, you guys have that first mover advantage of being the oldest and continuous uh, online wine auction. But COVID has forced everybody in the wine space to, you know, evolve quickly. I'm wondering, with these traditional players starting to enter the space because they're forced to because they can't have as many in-person auctions or safe auctions in person. How is WineBid being set up to be defensible against that? The number one answer to that is it's a great thing for all the consumers out there. Competition obviously breeds innovation. WineBid was an innovator and continues to be an innovator. I've seen what some of the other auction houses have done, and it's fascinating to see how they're taking their positioning and their platform and adapting for the new world. I think there's all kinds of opportunity as the market expands for each of the players. WineBid is doing a variety of things around trying to keep its user interface as clean and as easy as possible for both desktop and mobile. Last year, one of the innovations we launched was our Bottle Shot 360, which is 360 high-res bottle shots. I know that in the past, there were a few sites that tried to offer bottle shots and they did it on a very limited basis and it was back in the day when the tech required some type of plug-in like flash and it's ironic to think that flash is now being discontinued by adobe so users do not want to have to download a plug-in to view something whether it's a, an image or a video on their site so what we introduced was i think the first native 360 degree bottle shot that requires no plug-in that's immediately viewable and that's also high res. I think the older folks who tried to do something had very low res fuzzy images. So that's one example. We were talking offline about trust signals that consumers these days, whether you're on Amazon, eBay, or other marketplaces and at wine auctions, you want to have as much trust as possible in the quality and the authenticity and the provenance of the wines or of any product you're buying. So 360 bottle shots are one example of the provenance of the trust signals that we're putting out there by offering the best photography. And I think that's something WineBit is always known for is the best still photography. I'm still surprised many other houses don't offer photography at all. On the flip side, on the experience side, one thing we just launched last week and we haven't even really publicized is our new shipping functionality where 
many places in wine in general, you buy something and you have to ship it the next day. Or if you buy and you do store with an auction house, you have to call customer service or email them. And then you just take everything you bought in one shipment. And it's a cumbersome process. And it was actually like that at WineBid for a while as well. So with our new functionality, you can see everything that you have at the wine bid warehouse that you might have aggregated over the past few months, the past year, and you can pick and choose each bottle individually that you want to ship to yourself. You can sort by the price when you bought it, when you're going to have to start paying storage fees, and then pick and choose. And then you can select the day you want to come up to the warehouse to pick it up and the time, or you can pick the day you want it to be sent. We actually have a weather-related functionality because it's been so hot in Napa recently. We advise you if we think the temperatures are too hot to ship your wine. We make sure that you truly want to ship the wine if it's going to be a hot day, or we advise you when the next available uh, best shipping day would be for your wine. So it's not just about buying the wine, it's about getting the wine to your house. And so on both those counts and many others, WineBid intends to keep innovating and keep providing the best buying and delivery experience in the business. There's obviously a difference when you're buying something of these price points or qualities and inspection and things that you guys do. I'm curious on what are some other examples of trust signals so that people can, who maybe who aren't familiar with that term can understand what exactly you're referring to there. Sure. Well, on most sites, I think people are familiar with buyer ratings or seller ratings or product reviews and those types of things. So as an auction house, we can't really do seller ratings. We do the scores on the wines. But for those who've been customers for a while and very astute observers will note that WineBid offers some of the most detailed condition notes on the bottle itself, aside from the high-res photography. We will note the centimeters of oolage. We will note whether we believe that the label has a slight label condition, a medium label condition, or a heavy label condition. Well, So we note both the condition of the bottle, if the capsule has any type of scratch, if the cork is slightly elevated, slightly depressed. So part of that, people say, why do you do that? You're almost, it's TMI. But for us, it's the complete transparency as a market maker to provide the most information to the prospective buyer. So we offer that on the condition and then also on the provenance being the where the wine came from and how it's been stored, you can see we also offer very detailed notes on those. So we attempt to collect from every consigner at every bottle as much as possible, whether, for example, with the gentlewoman who I was referring to before, she was able to tell us as we went through the collection, well, these I procured when I was traveling with my husband on honeymoon from the wineries themselves in France. And these we procured at a charity auction here in Seattle. So we list those notes of where the seller procured those wines. Did they buy them at retail? Did they buy them at the wineries? Did they get them from a mail list? And then we also say how it's been stored. Has it been stored in an underground temperature-controlled cellar, temperature and humidity-controlled? Has it been stored at a professional wine storage? And so outside of doing star-type ratings, we are providing more detailed notes than any other site, I believe, out there, which... I believe are a different form, but they are basically trust signals that astute buyers can look through those and then make determinations of which bottles they'd like to buy. Occasionally, I do get comments from people, wow, I can't believe you have that bottle up. I mean, the color looks a little off. It's a 20 plus year old bottle of Merceau, or maybe the label is heavily damaged. And our response is that, look, we don't know every auction house out there, no one can make a high degree of warrantability about the drinkability of the wine. But what we do try to do is provide the most information about the collectability of the wine. In fact, one of the most expensive bottles ever sold on the site was a $50,000 bottle of rosé that we knew that the buyer knew they were not going to drink. They wanted it to complete a vertical and a collection of a specific producer. And that person had the money that they wanted to collect that bottle. It was a rare and unique bottle and we had authenticated it. And so they bought it up with no intention to drink it. And so for every bottle of wine out there, or for almost every bottle of wine out there, there is a buyer who will be interested for one reason or another. And so we view our job as to provide the most detailed information possible so that people can make informed decisions with those trust signals. $50,000 rosé. Wow. Yeah. What is that? That's 
Sinequanon, I'm guessing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sinequanon. Otherwise, maybe Lopez de Heredia, but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, Sinequanon. I was like, did DRC make a rosé I haven't heard of before? We get all kinds of questions about quality or authenticity. One time we had someone call in and was questioning the hole in the top of the capsule. And they were sure that that bottle had been Coravand. And so I sent that to my inspection team to ask them about that. And they very patiently explained to me the history of capsules and venting. And I had not realized, but I learned that there are three major types of capsules. There's the non-vented, the single-vented, and the double-vented capsule. And they were able to prove to me through a series of photographs about this particular wine that it had traditionally been a single vent, and then it went to a double-vented capsule. And they also showed to me a microscopic photo or a photo from under a microscope of what a Coravan hole looks like versus what a capsule vent hole looks like. And they showed me how one is more triangular and one is more rounded. They showed that not only was that most definitively not a Coravan hole, it was a double vent, but that that producer had switched from a single vent to a double vent capsule during that time period so that we could assure the buyer that the wine had not been Coravan and that that was a standard double vented capsule from that producer during that time period. So that was one great example of how the knowledge, not just of venting of capsules, but of a specific producer and their capsule standard for a variety of varietals during certain time periods had changed, was very unique in the kind of knowledge that the team possesses and, and uses when evaluating wine's authenticity and provenance. That is a really interesting example because I've seen capsules with vents in them, but I didn't realize that there was such a history on the capsules and there was multi-vents or that someone would have mistaken that for a Corvin. That's very interesting. Great anecdote. You have a lot of data, right, that you've been collecting about the marketplace, the wine auction marketplace. Do you have any sense of if good provenance provides a higher premium or if it's like direct from winery or something like that when it's sold on Winebit? I honestly have not been able to do that analysis in detail. So what I have seen is that to date, I have not seen a significant premium just anecdotally, not analytically, but anecdotally. I have not seen a significant premium based on the provenance. I think, fortunately, the buyer set at Winebid trust that we have done a great job as we attempt to do on the inspection and authentication. And so they trust that. So they trust the provenance there. I do believe, well, we've already, we have proven analytically that the scores make a difference at certain breakpoints. So people trust the scores and they buy by score. And I believe anecdotally, again, I've not proven this analytically, that in fact, the label appearance is probably more uh, important to many buyers because I think when people are buying these wines, they're literally envisioning, they're having the experience. Like when you buy a lottery ticket and you're dreaming what you're going to do with it, I think people actually, they're envisioning the experience of presenting this bottle and sharing it with their friends or their family after COVID or when, you know, for folks who are getting together, social distance. And so uh, having a great presentable bottle. Now, there are definitely folks who see the damaged labels and the, uh, or, you know, or not damaged, but just some labels that are a little older looking and they know that it's a good wine and it's been well inspected and well authenticated. And they think, hey, you know what? That's probably a great deal. I don't care how the label looks. I'm going to buy that and drink it. You get those as well. So again, for every bottle, there's, there's always a buyer. I will take the nicked label, the nicked capsule. Like if that's going to lower the price by $20, $25 a bottle, I'm all over that. As long as there's no signs of seepage and knowledge is good, I'm happy with it. That reminds me a lot of other collectible markets like comic books or sports cards or things like that, where that condition really makes a lot of element of the collectability and the price of the wine. And so in those markets, we're getting a lot of like certificates of authenticity or grading, right? Grading programs. It's very new in the wine world, but there are some like, I know Penfolds will do a recorking and certifying that, you know, that wine is real or, you know, Maureen Downey's got like the chai method with a blockchain kind of encoded thing. Have you seen that any certifications increase the value of wine? I have not. That's been very interesting, as you're noting, Peter. 
in other industries, they seem to be coming back to that with uh, eBay offering authentication and real, real, and some of the other re-commerce sites. I think of wine auctions as the original re-commerce, and now re-commerce is a hot thing. Now, of course, in re-commerce, you're taking something that's been slightly used, a piece of clothing, a handbag, a watch, a fine watch, and then reselling that. In fact, the Wall Street Journal did a huge article about three months ago about the rise of re-commerce and that how re-commerce is so unique to millennials, that millennials want the branded good, but they want a certain amount of sustainability in the product. So they'd rather buy something that's old and slightly used for a good deal and know that they're not creating more manufacturing waste by having to buy something brand new at a higher price. In many ways, vintage wine fits all of those great things around better deal, sustainability, etc. But I haven't seen any move yet toward people paying for additional authentication and inspection or having that be a value. I was going to mention one other thing that's somewhat related, in fact, is sellers often like to highlight when they've got the wines in the original wood case, whether it's a single large format bottle in the case or a full case of some wine. They always believe that the OWC, the original wood case, is going to add significant value. And you've got to display the case. And, you, and what we have seen very interestingly, analytically, is the buyers do not care one way or the other whether the wood case is there or not. In fact, they don't want to have to pay to it costs extra to ship the wood case because it's heavier. So many of the buyers say, we want the 12 bottles, but we don't want the wood case. And that ends up becoming really difficult for us when we've got all these old wood cases where the consigner sent them in, we packed them up, and they're sure that they're going to get more money because it's in the wood case. Now, if it's in the banded wood case, it is nice that you know that the band and the seal has never been broken, but I haven't seen buyers being willing to pay up for that either. So it just kind of speaks to your questions on authenticity as well as what people are willing to pay for and what people are not willing to pay for. I saw Robert shaking his head. What do you think about that, Robert? Yeah, I, I have a couple of times had the cases shipped to me and in the end of the day, I have to store it somewhere. And so unless you have a giant subterranean cellar, it's not the most convenient thing. And you're questioning how many you can stack on top of each other. So unless everything's in a wood case, that's just not my cellar. At my house, it's mostly a Yurikov. And, and so I have to put everything away anyway. So I'm just surprised Russ's background isn't full of uh, wood case pieces. Yeah, I've got <laughs> one back there. So uh, at Winebid, at our offices, we have a very nice wall of wood cases that we've made a decoration out of. So Peter and I always have this debate about investable versus auctionable. And you've talked a little bit how your thoughts on investable wines, but I'm curious on what makes a wine auctionable versus investable in your opinion? That's a great question. I think when you look at an investable wine, it's basically anything that's auctionable, but with a higher standard, because there's a lot of the auctionable wines are wines that people want to drink. They're buying because they want to drink it, and they may be experimenting. They may want to buy a single bottle of something or a couple bottles of something, which is a little more unique to wine bid than other places. Uh, Other places have started to do that. But traditionally, a lot of live houses specialized in, you got to buy a case of this, or you got to buy a mixed case of this, where at wine bid, you can pick and choose one bottle at a time, and you can create a really fun, unique mixed case of whatever you want. And you can buy just one bottle at a time for over, you could buy one bottle a month for a whole year in the storm and then ship them all at once a year later in one case. So what may be auctionable may be something that is less expensive than you can buy at retail because some consigner aggregated a lot of wine and wants to sell all of their wine at once. We can find super high-end wines and then a bunch of mid-range wines that they might have bought that are going to sell for $10, $20, $30 less than retail. Investable wines, I think, are a very elite subset of auctionable wines. And those are wines that you see that maybe new releases that just came out from a mailing list and that you're able to obtain on WineBid or or somewhere else and that you're going to lay down and store for quite a while. Uh, Or they may be older vintages that someone else had collected and that you're confident of the provenance and the storage and that you want to then add to your collection as kind of a 
mutual fund or a portfolio that you believe will continue to add value. One of the things that I love on WineBid is that if you go into any individual bottle of wine, we have a wine price chart. It's kind of like, I say it's like the Zestimate on Zillow. It's like the Zestimate of wine. And you can see the price trends. And we take our price history from 25 years for that bottle and that vintage. And we do basically a curve of how that wine is trended over time. And so you can see, is that wine going up in value? Is that wine going down in value? Did it peak? And now it's starting to be a little over the peak. And that represents our best estimation of what we've seen fitting the curve to the actual transactions. We don't do a forward prediction of those, but Certainly, the graphs themselves are highly interesting when you get down to the bottle level to see how those wines have been trending. And so if I were looking at wine for investment, I would, of course, be looking at those curves to see what's on an uptrend and what maybe have flattened out, et cetera, to think about how I want to build a portfolio of wines to hold. You mentioned earlier about the correlation with critic scores and the potential premium. Is that a specific critic, especially now as you know the critic landscape is kind of expanding dramatically, or you know, is it only certain critics or which ones? We didn't analyze down to the individual critic. We do carry most of the critics, Robert Parker, Jeb Dunna, Jancis Robinson, and many others, Berghound. What I think has been very interesting is so that was an aggregate critic score, you know, wine advocate, wine enthusiast scores. We also have broad vent. As you note, Peter, with the proliferation of brands and the proliferation of media outlets, not just wine spectator and wine enthusiast, but now other sites and microsites. And now there's been a proliferation of critics and not just the well-known critics, but wine influencers. Folks like you two, folks like Jacqueline Meesh. There's actually, I don't know if it was Spectator, but I saw one list of the top 50 wine influencers that were all basically people who are under 40, who are deep into wine and have built up massive followings either on their Instagram channel, their Facebook channel, maybe their own blog that rival and maybe even outpace some of the traditional print wine media outlets. So I don't know if those influencers would brand themselves as a critic, but certainly those influencers' opinions of different wines can really spur various sales of those producers. So it's been fascinating to watch and participate in. I think we're going to see a continued diversification of critics and influencers, where it becomes almost like a one-to-one, where it used to be the three major networks, and then it was the five major portals back when it was AOL and Yahoo. Now, we see individual buyers picking the influencer or the critic that they like for the varietal that they may like, and they follow those, and they become a micro-audience for a micro-set of wines. That's the opportunity for the future for everybody in the wine business. Well, I've yet to see Robert score a wine 100. So uh, that wine is going to have a huge <laughs> premium. It's going to go through the roof. It's happened. You just don't, you don't follow my feed enough. That's all. I think we need to have the, the Vernick score on wine bitch for every <laughs> wine that you've tasted and scored. We'll put it up there. Awesome. I'll take it. I'll take it. Russ, so every time we have a guest, we have to do a, a wrap-up where we ask the guest, what is a lasting trend in a fizzling fad for you in the wine auction marketplace? So the lasting trend in fizzling fad, well, we were discussing authenticity and trust signals. And I do believe that is a lasting trend that will increase, whether it is certificates of authenticity or better photography, better descriptions. I think that is actually a subset of a bigger trend of data. It's all about the data. The new wine buyer is more informed than ever and seeks out more information than ever because the information is more available than ever. There's more critics, there's more influencers, there's more photos, there's more price data than ever before. Wine is a global phenomenon and the buyer set is global. And so... We see that on WineBid. I think data, the data centricity around wine is a lasting and growing trend that people are making more and more informed decisions across a broader swath of there's more product out there, more interesting product than ever before, and there's more buyers than ever before. So that's a lasting trend. 
a fizzling fad. Well, we were joking about rosés. I actually think rosés are going to continue. I think they're going to settle down as a category, but rosés, maybe the white claw will be a fizzling fad and that may go away while wine is a 2,000, 3,000 year old plus tradition that will only continue. Awesome. Well, Russ, I want to thank you for joining. I learned a lot about the space and and how you guys are pioneering the online auction space and have been for quite some time. I want to thank you. We appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me and for your interest. And I look forward to seeing you in the Sunday auction. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.